0: Welcome to the Wittenberg Hour. Not only has the true faith in the true God been attacked, demeaned, and deplatformed, the knowledge of God provided by nature has also been denied. The psalmist says that the fool has said in his heart there is no God. The fool is out of his mind. When the true faith in the true God is extinguished and the Christian influence on the culture is gone, the people will believe in anything, anything at all. Rolf Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Hour, where we explore big questions and discuss that which endures by means of that which has endured, that scholars may endure. My name is Jocelyn Benson, and I serve as head teacher of Wittenberg Academy. What was and is the image of God? What has this to do with Christ's incarnation? Why do we not become angels when we die? Families recently had the privilege of learning from Reverend Rolf Preuss at the Wittenberg Academy Family Retreat. Enjoy Session 1.
1: The Reverend Rolf David Preuss was born on August 7th, 1953 in Cambridge, Massachusetts to Robert and Donna Preuss. He was raised in St. Louis, Missouri. He attended the University of Missouri in Columbia, Concordia Lutheran Junior College in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and graduated from Concordia College in St. Paul, Minnesota in 1975. He attended Concordia Theological Seminary in Springfield, Illinois and Fort Wayne, Indiana from 1975 to 79. He received his MDiv from Concordia Theological Seminary in 1979 and his STM from the same institution in 1987. Reverend Preuss was ordained on July 1, 1979 and served congregations in Minnesota, Wisconsin, North Dakota and Montana. He retired on August 9th, 2020 and lives with his wife on Gunflint Lake, a border lake between northeastern Minnesota and northwestern Ontario. Reverend Price has taught courses in theology for Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, Concordia University, Wisconsin, and St. Sophia Lutheran Theological Seminary in Ternopil, Ukraine. He has been a speaker at Conferences in the United States on a variety of theological topics, including the holy ministry, justification, the liturgy, and the confessional Lutheran identity. He has lectured in Latvia, Indonesia, Norway, and Sweden. His booklet, Justification Am I Good Enough for God, is available from Northwestern Publishing House. Christ for Us Catechism Sermons of Rolf D. Price has been published by the Concordia Catechetical Academy and a year of law and gospel preaching, apostle of sermons on the one-year lectionary has been published by Steadfast Lutherans. Many of his sermons and papers are available on www.ChristForUs.org. Reverend Preuss was married to Dorothy Jean Feltz on May 27, 1975. God has blessed their marriage with 12 children and 74 grandchildren. Welcome, Pastor Preuss.
2: It is a uh, wonderful privilege for me to be with you all today. And uh, I don't think my talk will take up a whole hour. So I thought when I get done talking, we could talk a little bit more back and forth if anything strikes your fancy that you'd like to discuss further. Uh, We're here to talk about God's creation. And there are two books you can read to learn about God as creator. We can read nature and we can read the Bible. Now reading nature will not show you that God is your heavenly father. For that we need the holy scriptures that were written that we may know Christ and through faith in him know God the Father. But a reading of nature will show us what God created, and by studying his creation, we may learn some things about God. We call this natural theology as opposed to revealed theology. Natural theology doesn't bring us to faith, it doesn't teach us anything about Jesus, God's grace or the forgiveness of sins and furthermore natural theology never exists in a pure form human nature being what it is it is always mixed up with idolatry and Saint Paul addresses this he explains how this works in Romans chapter 1 he teaches the natural knowledge of God in verses 19 and 20 What may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Denying this natural knowledge of God, people descend into idolatry, which is worshiping the creation rather than the creator. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. Instead of worshiping the God who made them in his image, they worship what they make in their own fallen and sinful image. That is, they worship themselves. Idolatry is self-worship. By denying the creator, they pervert his creation, St. Paul goes on to explain how this happens in his first chapter of his epistle to the Romans. The descent into homosexuality is a direct result of denying the knowledge of God that is gotten from nature. And the denial of the natural knowledge of God is at the heart of the LGBTQ agenda that has captured the loyalty of elites in America who impose their ideology through the media, public schools, academia, and of course, the government. What's going on? A casual observation of of our popular American culture, as I was preparing this presentation a while ago, I thought of that movie that came out in 1963 It's a mad, 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 mad world. Not only has the true faith in the true God been attacked, demeaned, and deplatformed, the knowledge of God provided by nature has also been denied. The psalmist wrote that the fool has said in his heart there is no God. The fool is out of his mind. When the true faith in the true God is extinguished and the Christian influence on the culture is gone, the people will believe in anything, anything at all. A man claims to be a woman. A woman claims to be a man. And such madness is defended, and if you say that it is madness, you are banned. Man has lost his mind. The natural knowledge of God is obvious to us Christians. We read in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 4, For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. This is a commonsensical observation. A little child can understand it. I remember a little boy in our neighborhood, I think he was in the first grade at the time, His dad taught at the seminary, along with my dad. His Sunday school teacher asked the class, what would they say to somebody who said there is no God? And the little boy said, I'd say, look at this tree. Somebody had to make it. And then if he didn't believe me, I'd push him down. (laughs) Now, those are words of wisdom from a little boy. We need to push down every false teaching that undercuts the natural knowledge of God. The creation is evidence of the creator. How can anyone deny it? The chief weapon in the arsenal of those who deny the natural knowledge of God and with it the natural knowledge of the law is the doctrine of evolution. Now by the term evolution... I'm talking about that notion that one species can evolve into another. I'm not talking about the evolution that can and does occur within various species. Macroevolution, which is usually what the word evolution means, teaches that every living thing is the result of random mutations over billions of years that began in the lost mists of time from a single-celled organism. And this teaching explains the creation without any need to acknowledge the creator. It takes issue with what the author to the epistle of the Hebrews says, for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. The doctrine of evolution eliminates the need for an intelligent creator to create an orderly world. Now we're told that this doctrine is scientific. Now the fact that it has captured the natural sciences does not make it science. It is rather, as Professor Kurt Marquardt used to say, Who's, who's familiar with him? Yeah, he was uh, one of my best teachers at the SEM. He called evolution a metaphysical dogma. In other words, it's a religious teaching. Christians who adopt the doctrine of evolution do so at their own peril. But the social pressure to do so is for many irresistible. And religious respectability has infected the church. I grew up in a religiously respectable congregation. We lived on the campus of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis where my father was a professor. It was at the St. Louis Seminary that the battle for the Bible in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod was was raging during the 60s and early 70s. Many of the professors, and their families from the seminary were members at Bethel Lutheran Church in University City, just adjacent to Clayton. And uh, that was Missouri Synod in those days. Today it is ELCA. Well, I was confirmed at Bethel in 1967. In those days, the Missouri Synod had a youth organization called the Walther League. Anybody here ever heard of the Walther League.
0: <laughs>
2: Real bright, okay. Well, my generation killed the Walther League. That's a long story, I won't get into it. it was, uh... But uh, uh, it was a big deal because you get confirmed and then you get to go to the Walther League meetings. We had two every, every month on Sunday evenings. And one was a social evening, and another was a religious topic. And so we had, one month, we had a fellow, a student from the seminary come and teach us young people that, uh, about creation and evolution. And he tried to convince us that there was no conflict uh, between creation and evolution because, you see, the Bible is not a book of science. The Bible deals with religion and evolution deals with science, so we can hold on to both. Now, this is in 1967. Now, flash forward 30 years. I taught classes in theology at a Lutheran seminary in western Ukraine five times between 1998 and 2003. The Soviet Union had broken up about a decade earlier. All of my students, had grown up in the Soviet Union and had been educated under that regimen. They'd all been subjected to communist propaganda in their youth. And I told my class the way it was in the West. I said that many theologians in the West will say that we Christians can accommodate ourselves to the teaching of evolution. That, That we can teach that yes, God made us, But the biblical account of creation may not be historically accurate, that perhaps God used evolution as his means of creating us. My class was amazed that any Christian theologian could teach such a thing, because they knew evolution as anti-Christian propaganda. That's how it was taught to them. And of course, it is anti-Christian propaganda. The teaching that we descended from a single-celled organism over a period of billions of years was designed to counter the natural knowledge of God that we have from God's creation. The mainstream Protestant churches have accommodated their doctrine to evolution, so as the Roman Catholic Church and as Ukraine has become increasingly westernized, I suppose that Christians in Ukraine have learned to do so also. But when the church accommodates the doctrine of evolution, she denies the plain meaning of the biblical text. Contrary to the popular opinion that the biblical account of creation can accommodate the doctrine of macroevolution, just read through Genesis 1, and you see that that is contrary to the words of the text where Moses, he repeatedly writes, according to their kinds. The Genesis account disallows the notion that one species evolved into another species. So then what happens when a church accommodates evolution? She rejects the clear teaching of the Bible and thereby undermines the Bible as the authority for the church's doctrine. When the church accommodates the doctrine of evolution, she also denies the natural knowledge of God and of his law. And there's a result. The result is functional atheism. God still exists. He just doesn't show himself in nature. And so faith then becomes a leap into irrationality. Because it cannot have any connection to what we can see and touch measure or record in a book the natural knowledge of god and of god's law that we have from nature and our own conscience doesn't prove our christian religion it certainly doesn't teach the gospel of god's grace in christ it can't save us but the demonstrable proof of god's existence does debunk harmful false religions marxism Evolutionism, also known as Darwinism, Freudianism, and all these other modern isms that attack biblical Christianity are all grounded in this functional atheism. I call it functional atheism because that's how it functions. Functional atheists may believe in some sort of a god. They often do. He just doesn't have anything particular to say, and he hasn't left any evidence in the world that he created. We live in a culture that has increasingly embraced functional atheism. Natural theology teaches God's existence and uh, power. The psalmist proclaims the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. David here appeals to what we call natural theology. When mainline Protestant churches and the Roman Catholic Church embrace evolution, they deny the historicity of the Genesis account of of creation. And this is an attack not just on natural theology, which is known to the Jew, the Mason, the Muslim, and anybody else who believes in a creator, but does not confess Jesus Christ as Lord. It's also an attack on biblical theology. Now here is a very important point, the most important point of what I'm gonna be saying today. An attack on the Bible is an attack on Jesus Christ. We must understand this. Jesus Christ and the justification of the sinner by Christ's obedience and suffering is at the heart of the bible we cannot understand creation we cannot understand the image of god we cannot understand man and woman we cannot understand marriage and the family if we do not know christ the lord our righteousness our redeemer and our savior from sin and death so the attack of evolution. And Marxism with its variants and Freudianism with its variants on the natural knowledge of God is an attack on the Bible and Jesus. But the defense of the natural knowledge of God is not necessarily a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't need to be a Christian to acknowledge the existence of the deity and to recognize what he's like by what he's made. So while we may find encouragement from a scientific refutation of Darwinism or an economic refutation of Marxism or a commonsensical moral refutation of Freudianism we still haven't taught the gospel and we cannot understand creation if we don't know the gospel. Let's take a look at what Moses wrote in Genesis 1 verse 26. Then God said Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth." You know, there comes a time in your life when you can make the type as big as you can, and you still need one of these. I just saw a picture on Facebook of our son David, who's in his early 40s, and notice he's, he's wearing reading glasses. Oh, man, when your kids start wearing reading glasses. Oh, well. Life marches on and heaven is our home, right? But if you look at the account, if you've read Genesis uh, chapter 1, you notice there's a pattern in the way Moses records it. What God says as he creates all these different kinds, he says, says, let there be, let there be, right? Then it comes to Adam and Eve, and what does he say? He doesn't say, let there be. He said, let us make. The whole tone changes. And here we also see the, the, the Holy Trinity revealed. It is implied in the first three verses uh, uh, of, of chapter 1 uh, in, in, in the first verse, you have God created the heavens and the earth. That's the Father. And then in the second verse, you have the Holy... You have the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep. That's, that's the Holy Spirit. And then in the third verse, it says, God... Then God said... Well, the word say and the word word are basically the same word. One's a verb and the other's a noun. The word by which God said it is the word who 4,000 years later would become flesh. So you've got the Father and the Word and the Holy Spirit there in the beginning before the Word world was made. The Word is the Son. When God says in verse 26, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, this is the triune God speaking. We usually ascribe creation to the Father in the creed, in the catechism, but... We are not denying that all three persons participate in creation, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God made man, male and female, to be like him. And what does this mean? What is this image of God? St. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, he's talking about Jesus here. Colossians 1:15 through 17. He, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Christ is the image of God. The man and the woman were made in the image of God. The man and the woman were made in Christ. The image of God doesn't refer to God's visible form because God is a spirit and spirits are invisible. They have no visible form. Now, the Bible often uses a figure of speech that we call an anthropomorphism. Do you like that word? Isn't that a great word? You throw that word around and people will think that you know something. Well, uh, God is described in human terms. He sits on a throne. He's got a right hand. He walks in the garden. And he's described in human terms so that we can know of his divine uh, attributes and activities in language we can understand. Now, some have taken these anthropomorphisms literally and have come up with a strange notion that God has a body. The Mormons, for example, do this. But God is a spirit, and the image of God has to be understood spiritually. When God made Adam, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, the Hebrew word for breath and spirit are the same word. God breathed into Adam the Holy Spirit. Adam was a spiritual being. He was spirit-filled, and so was his wife Eve. The image of God entailed knowing God. As we read in Colossians 3, verse 10, that you have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So to know God is true faith. Jesus says his sheep know him. They know the truth. They know God. And this knowledge is untouched by sin. St. Paul in Ephesians 4.24 encourages us to put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Adam and Eve knew God. They were righteous and holy. They were made in the image of God. And Evolution teaches that we came from the animals. The Bible teaches that we were made in God's image. The animals were not made in God's image. Now, animals are often humanized in stories. Any of you familiar with Aesop's fables? This is great. I read Aesop's fables when I was a boy. And, of course, animals there talk. And uh, I grew up watching Bugs Bunny. You've all heard of him. How many of you have heard of Yogi Bear? Oh, wow, we have an educated group here. (laughs) And porky pig. Now, the, the thing of it is, we know that animals can communicate, but they can't talk. Now, some people treat their dogs as if they're members of the family, but that doesn't really make them human beings. There's a fundamental difference between human beings and animals. Who are made, human beings who are made in God's image and animals that are not. And I'll, I'll just illustrate this for you. We don't think anything of eating beef, pork, lamb, or chicken. Cannibalism, on the other hand, we regard as gruesome savagery. Or if Tom Jones beds a different woman every day, we call him an immoral fornicator. But if your tomcat does the same thing with female cats, you don't call him a fornicator. And while we may say good boy, bad boy to our dogs, we know that dogs and cats are incapable of sin. They're neither sinful nor are they righteous. And similarly, if somebody wrongfully kills an animal, you can't prosecute him for murder. He can be charged with theft, perhaps, but certainly not murder. Why? The animal is not made in the image of God. He cannot know God. He cannot worship God. He can neither obey God from a willing heart nor resist God in unbelief. And the doctrine of evolution undermines this fundamental difference between human beings and animals. When God made man in his own image, both male and female, he said of them, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over all the cattle over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now the problem in dealing with this dominion is that we can only know it by what we see after the fall into sin. And the fall into sin brings God's curse. So the dominion originally given to man was lost before we came on the scene. We, we have dominion, yeah, but we don't play with rattlesnakes or lions in fact the dominion of the human race over god's creation is fulfilled only in christ and by christ listen to these words from psalm 2 verses 3 through 9 when i consider your heavens the work of your fingers the moon and the stars which you have ordained what is man that you are mindful of him and the Son of Man, that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name, in all the earth now as you read this psalm you can see the psalmist isn't talking about our dominion over the works of god's hands he's talking about christ and the epistle to the hebrews makes this clear our dominion is marred by sin christ the sinless son of god has perfect and total dominion we cannot understand our lordship over this world apart from Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords." Have you ever heard the notion that when you die, you become an angel? Yeah? Well, God made man, male and female, in his own image. The angels may be more powerful than we but they're not the crown of god's creation man is and to say as popular piety does that when a christian dies he becomes an angel is to deprive us of the dignity that god gave us in creation and that he restored to us in redemption christ redeems us with his blood and that means if you have no blood Jesus did not redeem you. Jesus did not redeem angels. We do not become angels. That would be a demotion, not a promotion. God made us in his image, not in the image of the animals or the angels. Every Christless teaching about our origins, whether the naturalistic and functional atheism of Darwinism, or the bloodless deism of freemasonry or the christless teaching of modern judaism and islam or the godless doctrines of hinduism and buddhism strip us of the dignity and the value and the goal for which god created us the invasion of darwinism into the mainline denominations has opened the door to every heresy, and false religion known to man. Error spawns error. The ordination of women, the normalization of homosexuality, the embracing of gender dysphoria as if fulfilling the desires of the mentally ill is an unalienable right. All of this has occurred as the result of denying what God's word clearly teaches in Genesis about our creation in the image of God. And if we were not created in the image of God, Christ, who is the image of God, could not have become a man. And he could not have redeemed us. Our creation and redemption are not ideas or or philosophies. They are historical events. God created this world in six days. Now that's history. We use the word historicity to talk about Adam and Eve, the historicity of Adam and Eve to distinguish biblical history from myth or or legend. The Bible doesn't have any myths or legends. God made man on the sixth day. And everything that he made was very good and then sin entered this world by the disobedience of one man that also was an historical event four thousand years later God became a man to redeem those he had created in his image who had lost that image in the fall and that too was an historical event a week and a half ago we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead How is that described here in this room? Where is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead on Easter Sunday identified in this room that we're in right now? Where is it said? Where is it? That's Easter. That's the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We rejoice in our lives because of the historical event of Easter Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead. And that historical event is the basis for our confidence that in the future, at the end of time, God will raise our bodies from the ground, change these mortal bodies into immortal bodies, and glorify us. In your catechism, you learn about creation and then right after creation is a topic related to creation that a, a, a town in Rhode Island named a city after. So what, what am I talking about? Providence. Providence, which comes from the word provide. God not only made me, but he also acts in my life. God is the creator and the sustainer. These historical events don't remain in the past, but the same God who created us in the beginning made me, and he gives me, my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. Also, what, clothing, shoes, meat, drink, house, home, fields, cattle, wife, ch- wife children, Land animals and all that I have. I don't actually own any animals, or they don't know that I own them. They live outside, and we live inside. Uh, you know, I don't like squirrels in the summer because they come and they steal your, 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 your goodies, you know, when you're eating out by the water. But in the winter, squirrels are a blast. They dig through the snow, and uh, my wife put out a pan of birdseed. Hoping that the chickadees would come by and eat it, so we get a foot of snow on top of this pan of birdseed, so these poor chickadees can't get in there. So the squirrels will come; they'll dig in underneath, open it up for the chickadees. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> Isn't there a, a word for this in nature? <laughs> Symbio, symbiosis. I learned that. Yeah, I, I went to high school. <laughs> So the God, the God who, who, who created the world is also the God who takes care of me. Now, could God care and provide and protect me by means of doing miracles? Sure. He could if he wanted to, but he doesn't have to do miracles to take care of his children. He governs the weather, the growth and the health of the plants, and the animals that we eat, and the civil authorities, believe it or not, the civil authorities that keep the peace. Everything that pertains to providing for what we need in this world, God provides. And this is what we pray for in the Lord's Prayer when we pray which petition? Give us this day our daily bread. God didn't create us and leave us to make it or break it on our own. He provides for us. So, it is the Creator who provides. It's the Creator who created man, male and female. The next time we get together, we're going to talk about men and women. Are they the same or are they different? Is there such a thing as an androgynous, I think that means sexless, or nowadays we would say genderless, human being? Can one choose one's sex or gender? What about the LGBTQ agenda? Can Christians accommodate themselves to it and remain Christian? Stay tuned. So now, we've got about 20 minutes if you'd like to discuss what I just talked about. Anybody have any profound observations to make or questions or maybe you'd like to start an argument? We're open. we're open to anything here. Yes, ma'am. You talked about
0: how we were made in the image of God and that being the spirit of God. us. So I've read a lot of different people refer to us currently as being in the image of God. And I always understood it as physical. So do
2: we still have it or did we lose it? And then, sorry, I have a cold. Me too. okay yeah well there are two points here that i I would make the one is the image of god refers not to something that that you see with the eyes in the sense of of god having a certain form because god doesn't jesus said uh god is a spirit and so uh but did we lose the image or not in the fall, that's a, that's a, that's a really good question because sometimes you've got these theologians, they have one point they want to make and maybe they want to oppose another point. And so they use different language. And sometimes these Orthodox Lutherans will say that we lost the image of God. And then others say, uh, because we don't have, by nature, we don't know God. By nature, we don't love God. By nature, we don't worship God. So, so all the things that are part of the image of God that spiritual reality in which we were created, that's, that's all been lost. On the other hand, some people will say, well, I don't think that we should say that we lost the image of God. Let's, just, let's say instead that the image of God was corrupted. So it's, it's still there, but corrupted. And that way, you, you think of a human being as potentially uh, a Christian, potentially at peace with God, reconciled and glorified. And I kind of like the second one in this sense, like, Talking about babies, for example, and, and an argument. Uh, we were talking about this the other day at Stephen and Margaret's. Uh, they were going to come to this, but Margaret hurt her knee, so she couldn't come. Anyway, the Trinity and abortion. We, we oppose the Trinity because God made them, and we would appeal to the image of God we appeal to the trinity because god redeemed them christ shed his blood for them and we would also appeal to the holy spirit who sanctifies babies in holy baptism and even even sanctified john the baptist when he was in his mother's womb so we see the the image of god is is a is an assumption that, that we operate under when we talk about the value of human life. But we, when we say we deny that, we say that we lost the image, we're simply saying that, that it has been thoroughly corrupted by sin. But you, you, don't want to, you don't want to ascribe to a human being any ability to make himself righteous and to save himself. But at the same time, you don't want to say that fallen humanity is trash and of no value. Christ died for us that gives us tremendous value. Yeah. I was just going to point out, I think doesn't uh, Genesis after the flood refer to the uh, prohibition of man slaying another man because of the image of God? Very good point. Yes. When God institutes capital punishment, I'll be talking about this a little bit when we get into the different uh, authorities in this world. He, he appeals to the image of God. Uh, What's this, Genesis 9, verse 6, I think. Um, Whoever sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God he created man. So that appeals to the value. So those who say capital punishment is is, uh, not valuing human life are precisely wrong. Capital punishment is because we value human life. Yes, ma'am. Say, we we're taught we're dead in sin. So is that image of
3: God that has become dead and we need the Holy Spirit to make us alive
2: again? Is that. Yeah. The image of God describes the perfect holiness that exists, which entails a knowing God, a loving God loving, knowing God. Like a man, uh, 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 Fido is incapable of that. And, 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 and Puff, the, the, the cat, is incapable. All cats can do is, is hate, right? <laughs> I, whoever I've offended, I apologize. I, they're good for killing mice, so they're. But, but in describing the image of God, We're talking about two things side by side, and the one thing we're talking about is this holiness. So obviously we lost that, and this is restored in Christ. But we're also talking about what distinguishes us from the animals and what makes us so precious is that God made us in his own image. He said, let us. He he put more, I mean, just the way it reads in the Bible is that the human being is the most precious treasure and the, and the Christian the Christian church is called the apple of God's eye. I mean that just the, the treasure of it all and this 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 obviously goes back to being created in the image but it is it it requires the redemption and it requires then the sanctification that brings the redemption. So Yes sir. Why
3: well, does True image in this kind of humanistic uh, unity of man and uh, and God then reasserts his image by scattering them in their in the imagination of their hearts. So there's there's also a, a judgment in uh, you know, against sin and idolatry uh, that the image of God uh, you know brings about. So it brings about life or Adam, but then when they want to be, defined their security in themselves, then it brings about judgment as well, that, that perhaps what we're seeing today, you know, with the, uh, all this nonsense, where people want to redefine creation themselves, that uh, God's image is not going to stand by idols.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Of course, I think uh, sometimes it almost sounds like a slogan, and we don't want to get into sloganeering, but uh, I really think it's true that if you teach people that we are animals, then sooner or later we're going to start behaving like animals, and that's why you see the utter (coughs) breakdown in public morality. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, so to
3: what extent does humanity have dominion over creation apart from Christ? Is it only, exclusively, or?
2: Well, uh, take the farmer, and he's got some dominion. He plants the crop, and wheat is doing well. And it's just about 10, 15 miles southwest of... Sydney, and it looks wonderful. He's He's got dominion, and then, I shouldn't laugh, it's not even funny, then the hailstorm comes and absolutely destroys everything he planted. Well, so much for that, <laughs> that's our dominion, you know? I mean, yeah, there's a certain amount of it. So like in the same way when we have free will? Yeah, we got free will when it comes to external things that have to do with just this in in a similar sense yeah i think that's a good example there uh that um i I think it's important that we and this gets us into a whole new topic but if but but uh if i could just go off on this for just a second the psalm two or psalm eight excuse me um these messianic psalms i'll just give you a little principle of hermeneutics okay The New Testament lies in the Old Concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Revealed. Can you remember that? The New Testament is in the Old Concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Revealed. If you want to understand Psalm 8, you go to Hebrews. No, 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 no. Go to Psalm 8. No. Go to Hebrews. God, in various ways, at times and places, spoke to our fathers through the prophets. He has, in these last days, spoken. He has spoken. Hebrews settles what Psalm 8 means. And so you get a Bible commentary or a Bible devotional book, and you go through Psalm 8, and there's not a single reference to Jesus in that devotional thing, sometimes even coming from Lutheran sources. No. Read Hebrews. Let the New Testament open up to you the meaning of the Old Testament. We're Christians. That's how we do our theology. And if you say, if you say that that the Dominion, and just take with what with, with Pastor Peppercorn was saying, let's just push this issue about, about dominion. And you're talking to your kind of agnostic friend who doesn't know if he believes in God or not. And you say, Yeah, but just look at how God, look at how God does stuff in nature. Look at what he's given man to do. Oh my goodness. Then they're going to come up with, what about all the suffering children? What about all this? And what about all that? So if you're ever going to make the, I mean, we're going to talk about, we have dominion, but ultimately it has to be Christ who has dominion. And that will be realized finally when he comes and returns and gets rid of all sin. Does that make sense, what we are just saying? Did Yeah? If it isn't just yes. Yeah. back to what is in Christ. That's a good point. Another point on this about the image of God is that if we if we take what the New Testament says about Christ being the image of God, and then God creates us in his image. But then We fall into sin. So who is then the true man? I mean the man of men. If you want to see the true human being. Who not only. Who who is the very image of God. That is what makes humanity humanity. That's what makes us human. So you find your true humanity in Christ. You find your true humanity. Uh, And boy, there's just so many, it's just a beautiful thing there. That gives you your value, that gives you your identity. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm returning to my God, my Father, your Father, to my God and your God, that we are now participants in the relationship, this eternal relationship between the Father and the Son, so, yeah. Yes? I don't think human nature is going to change or really could change. Uh, as you see the decline of our culture, and it looks, uh, I think the thing that we need to keep in mind is that this isn't changing the nature of things. This is just, uh, uh, this happens. Uh, we, see, we see the degradation. We see the utter, uh, um, I'm probably not directly answering your thing, your question, but I'd say that no, I think that always, First of all, there will always be that remnant. There will always be the Christian believers that, that for whose sake God keeps this world going. And also, um, if, if we think it's never been this bad, we're probably wrong. It's been worse. As I look at America today and how disgusting things are, uh, it is a more moral decent culture in America today than in many places in the past. And. Uh, so it's always a yes. Yeah, that's uh when 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 Adam and Eve sinned, and God says, cursed is the ground on account of you, which means that when God redeems Adam and his descendants, there's going to be something happening to the ground. The ground that was cursed now is just laboring for the revealing of the sons of God. I think you're referring to Romans 8 there. Yeah. And uh Which is the the true kind of, you know, uh, I don't know. In talking about creation, we could get into this environmentalism business, which uh, I'm not sure. I think Christians, when you look at some of these fanatics who want to destroy I hope I don't offend you by making political observations. I spent several years in eastern Montana and I developed their prejudices in favor of the oil industry we produce. Well, I don't want to get into a big, long thing there, but when you look at the wackos who want to destroy American energy independence, and so you want to say, okay, drill, baby, drill, fine, yeah. And, but the fact is, is that we Christians uh, believe in ca- taking care of the world that God gave us to take care of and we don't believe in 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 destroying and polluting and 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 ruining forests and 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 tearing down without building up okay so just in talking about nature and us your comment just kind of triggered that in my mind to to emphasize that uh those of us who reject this uh you know this uh Apocalyptic scare business that the world is going to be destroyed because of fossil emission fuel emissions in the next five years Uh, We don't need to jump on the other extreme and say that we are not responsible to to protect That part of the world that God has entrusted to us to care for I don't throw garbage out in my front lawn and, and We don't dump our sewage in the lake We spend a lot of money on a a septic system, believe me. I mean, we're talking about as much money as you would pay for a luxury automobile. But you know, when push comes to shove, you'd rather have a septic thing that works than a luxury automobile, I tell you. So I think we're, well, two minutes. Was there another question? Where? Oh, yes, sir. Okay. So um, you
3: mentioned the, uh, you know, the metaphysical dogma of evolutionism. How are these so-called Christian scholars getting away from injecting this into our seminaries and our universities, that so plainly and blatantly uh, uh, aggressive towards, you know? The,
2: that's a great question. And I think uh, just as, just as the, the young college student who goes off to college and, and, and uh, falls in with a certain crowd of people and comes home and says to mom and dad, I don't believe any of this God stuff I was taught at home, just as that person is not affected by in, in, in intellectual arguments against God, I tell you that right now, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with falling into sin, and wanting to continue in that sin, and trying to figure out a way to get away with the sin, and the most convenient way is to get away from the God who says it's a sin. So that's how that operates. The same thing with, it, with it's a similar thing with the, the intellectual. The intellectual thinks he's smart, and he may be, and he's smarter than you, and he's not in your class. He's in his class. But the one thing that a smart person who knows he's smart and really treasures his smartness cannot tolerate is that if people were to sneer at him, to sneer, to, to despise him, to say, you're kind of stupid. You're just kind of limited. And I think it is intellectual blackmail. I think it is, it is bullying. I think it is uh, you, you are made to feel like an idiot. I'll quote to you my first sentence in my anthropology textbook at the University of Missouri in 1971. And I quote, few educated men and certainly no serious scholars deny that man evolved from a primary organism. I memorized that in 1971. I'll say it again. Few educated men and no serious scholars deny that man evolved from a primary organism. If you believe the Bible, you are neither educated nor could you ever be a scholar. And that's laid on you. Boom, boom, boom. These guys want religious respectability. And I say this as somebody who grew up on the campus of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. That's what they want. And they'd rather have that than, well, I'm going back to my childhood. I'm not talking about what obtains there today. I'm talking about. ah. (laughs) There are rules against, uh, okay. Well, our time has expired. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us today for the Wittenberg Hour. Be sure to subscribe to the Wittenberg Hour so as to not miss an episode. If you would like to learn more about Wittenberg Academy, please visit our website at wittenbergacademy.org. You can like and follow Wittenberg Academy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join us again next time on the Wittenberg Hour.